Welcome on in to the Tony Parks Podcast. I love this song, by the way. One of the best. It's like a great walk-up song, if I ever had one. The fans wouldn't like my batting average, but they would definitely love my walk-up song. You know what I mean? And this would kind of be the song I'd have if I was ever like an FM DJ, you know? You're like, thank you so much for tuning in here today. This is the Zoo by the Scorpions, K-Bear 101. The FM DJ career. That, uh, I'll leave that to Mick and Alan. They're the best for that kind of stuff, right? I love their show, by the way. Huge fan. Uh, and then also, I'm a huge fan of Eric Walden, writer for the Salt Lake Tribune, who does a great job uh, covering the Utah Jazz. Um, and so it's cool having a chance to chat with him because we talk about all kinds of different rock bands and things like that. Uh, Guns N' Roses, uh, Scorpion, Cinderella. We'll go all day long uh, talking about some of our favorite songs. And then... Uh, some of our favorite like music videos when MTV used to play music videos. That was a lot of fun, man. Uh, so we have some great conversations. I'll have Eric on uh, sometime in the future. Uh, thanks so much for being with us here today. I appreciate all of you tuning in on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and more. As always, find us on the Utah Podcast Network. We have a great time with this show. Uh, a lot of fun topics, a lot of fun subjects. I know We've kind of been down to kind of one episode per week. We are going to increase the volume of that here very soon. My schedule very, very weird this month, uh, and it's just specific to this month, and I'll get into uh, more of that some other time. Um, but, you know, all the great support has been really appreciated. Thank you so much to everybody. Your kind words, uh, the emails, uh, a lot of you have really been enjoying this, uh, the show, and being a part of the podcast, um, I loved all your, your wonderful feedback on, on Twitter, whether it's been there on uh, Instagram, uh, the love that you've shown on Facebook, and then email me, uh, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. Some of you with some great suggestions. I've really appreciated that. I'm going to look into all of them and see what I can do to make it a part of your listening experience. Um, this past weekend was Father's Day. And I hope it was a good one for you. Uh, it's great to have good fathers out there. All good fathers are needed in every good way. Uh, good dads out there uh, make a really big difference in the world. Um, there's no doubt about that. But I also wanted to give a special thought and thank you uh, to really good single fathers that are out there. I know a number of really great single dads, and I've known a number of them in my lifetime. Uh, some of them were family members. Some of them were friends of the family when I was growing up. Uh, others are currently friends of mine who are raising their kids and going uh, out there to do their very best in a tough situation. Uh, now, any hardworking, good single parent out there is to be supported and appreciated. I mean, my thoughts and my comments here are in no way an oversight, uh, and in no way am I overlooking great single moms. I mean, that's obvious how I feel about uh, great single moms. Um, but I also want to take a second and let great single dads out there know uh, that I'm thinking of you, rooting for you, and supporting you. Uh, single parents altogether can have very different experiences. Sometimes they, they have to take the high road for a really long time, uh, make concessions that they don't want to make, but know that it's for uh, the better situation of the big picture. And then they'll make sacrifices that can be really, really hard. Um, so Father's Day, a very special thing in my family, always has been. Uh, special because my, my father chose me, and I think that's a really uh, big deal to us. Um, uh, long story, but my dad has been an awesome part of my life. And so we just, you think of all the cool things to do on Father's Day. Maybe people went golfing, um, thinking of some of your favorite moments and memories with your dad, right? 
my dad and I sat on his back porch, um, probably 7.30 to 10 o'clock. And all we did was sit back there, and he had a few beers, and I had a few root beers, and we just chatted about anything and everything. Just some of my favorite times, sitting there and talking about nothing, you know? Just anything and everything. And so he, the, the guy's smooth, uh, one of the best people you could ever meet. Um, he doesn't say much, and he doesn't need to. He's just, he's just a great dude. Um, and then it's special in our home uh, because of the dynamic of my beautiful daughters. Uh, my wife was amazing this past week with some really adorable tributes uh, to them and, and helping everyone in the family feel their love around us. So thank you to Nat. That was very cool, very special. And so for all of you out there, hope your Father's Day uh, was a good one couple of things to get to today. I'm going to get right to this really fun story. Lifting the curtain. I never really had a chance to tell this story and let it be delivered the way it would need to in a radio sense. So now I get a chance to really lay this story out, and I think you'll really like it. Uh, maybe some of you have seen the Dave Chappelle video that is out there. Uh, he talks a lot about the current situation going on in the country had some really strong opinions and stories to go along with it. It's actually really insightful, and I uh, suggest that people, if you get a chance, to go ahead and watch it. Well, it actually reminded me of the one Dave Chappelle story that I have. Uh, During the 2017 playoffs, the Jazz beat the Clippers in Game 7 in L.A. at the Staples Center, right? Uh, First round, Staples Center, Sunday afternoon. It was a 12.30 Pacific time start. I actually flew in that day for the game. I flew in early in the morning. I uh, got there at like 7 a.m. My wife was probably rooting for the Jazz harder than anyone because if the Jazz win, not only do the Jazz win, which is awesome, uh, I would go right to San Francisco for the second round because the Jazz were going to play the Warriors on Tuesday for game one of the Western Conference semifinals. So I packed for five days, and I left my bag at the house on purpose, and that was packing for a hopeful San Francisco trip as well. Because if the Jazz win, then Natalie was going to fly with our bags to San Francisco. I would meet her there. We would have some family and friends uh, that we know out in the Bay Area to join her for five days that she just wouldn't forget. She gets to have the time of her life. I just go out and work. So I always took Nat with me on the playoff trips that included the first two road games of any series. It was just my way of saying thank you for being so supportive. And then while I was working and running all over the place, she'd meet up with friends and certain family members and go out and have a good trip. Um, She even had a few different trips. She would do this quite regularly. Uh, Her and Kristen Kenny would get together, the uh, TV sideline reporter. And so they'd, you know, do whatever, go shopping, have a fun lunch somewhere. And uh, because Kristen, our schedules were a little bit different um, just because of my radio show and things like that. So the girls would always go have a good time. So we all know the story of that game seven. Jazz win. Uh, One of my favorite games and experiences I'll ever have as a reporter, and I'll tell that story another time on just how cool Game 7 of a NBA postseason series is, because it is, man, that is an experience. So now we head to the Bay Area. I fly up from L.A., Nat flies over from Salt Lake, and while we're there, the Jazz stayed at the Four Seasons on Market Street. I stayed at a hotel that wasn't far away. I could actually, and we did this, Jake and I, he'll, he'll remember this, I would, uh, we'd go to commercial and I would run out of my hotel room, out of the hotel and run to the place that they would be at at that hotel and I would get there before the next segment started. So nobody, I would never have to like miss any part of the show. So getting around downtown San Francisco, not easy. So that's why I stayed there. 
Well, the Jazz had their practices and their shoot-arounds at a gym that was connected to the hotel. It's called Equinox, right? So it was like on the fifth floor or something. Uh, anybody who was on that trip would definitely remember. So the Jazz would have their practice and shoot-around there, and then we would do the media availability right there in like a dance room. It had hardwood floors and a huge mirror. So one of the days that I was there, and I think it was the first day I was there, I was finishing some of my work after a practice, sending emails, stuff like that from my laptop. And I think it was Jeremiah Jensen of KSL who was in this lobby area kind of getting some work done at the same time. And we're right by the elevators on one side and then the gym is the other direction. And I, I want to say it was Jeremiah who tells me, hey, yeah, you'll never guess who I saw earlier. And he goes, Dave Chappelle. He's here. He works out here. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Wow. I'm sure there's a lot of big names that have worked out here before with it kind of being connected to this hotel. So a little while later, I'm headed out of there. And I walk into the elevator. And right as the elevator is about to close, two other people hurry and make their way in at the very last moment. And they stand between me and the door. And no joke, one of those people, Dave Chappelle. So Dave is in this elevator with me. He gets out, right, when it goes down to the first floor. And then he walks towards Market Street. That's the street that uh, the Four Seasons was on. And he goes outside. Now, before he gets out there, because Market Street's busy, San Francisco's got a lot of people, and he's a very public figure and a popular figure, he puts on a hat with a really low curved brim, right? So it, like, really covers a lot of his face. And it was obvious he wanted to make sure uh, that, uh, you know, he wasn't recognized and, and that there was a scene with him out there. So he heads outside. He's wearing this uh, tank top, and he's got this, uh, this hat that he's wearing. And he's walking down the street, and he's got his head down the whole time. And as we're outside, he's walking the same direction that I am. And uh, he's in the middle of a conversation with the person that's with him. Now, I'm on my phone and checking emails and texting and getting stuff done. And uh, he's probably about 15 or 20 feet in front of me. Now, in no way am I going to stop or talk to the guy or bother the guy or get a picture. I can clearly tell he doesn't want to be bothered. But I suddenly look up as we're about a foot away from each other, because now we've stopped at a stoplight, right? So he was like in front of me, and then he stops at a stoplight, and I'm now walking up behind him, and I'm now stopped at that same stoplight. We're like one foot away from each other. And I look up and realize, lo and behold, we're on 3rd Street. And any of you that understand anything about a Dave Chappelle comedy skit, there's something really funny about 3rd Street. And his friend, Chip, I said, Chip, no! It's one of my favorite uh, moments in all of his skits. My brother and I constantly, like, rehearse that scene or joke around about that scene. It was too late. Uh, so uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you have to look it up. Dave Chappelle's stand-up comedy is some of my absolute favorite. So George Carlin is my absolute favorite co uh, comedian, and then um, uh, Dave Chappelle is, like, number two. I mean, he's right there. And then you get into, like, Jeff Foxworthy, and anyway, we listed off some of the time. So now I'm standing one foot behind him to his left, and I knew exactly what I was going to do. When the light turns green, I'm going to start walking alongside him, kind of get a burst of speed there, right, to get up alongside him a little bit in front of him, and I'm going to say, hey, take it easy. You're on 3rd Street. And then I'll just give him a quick nod, and I'll be on my way, right? That's all I'm going to do. I had it all planned out. It was going to be perfect. This way, I can acknowledge the humor of the moment, right, and not make a scene. I'm not drawing any kind of attention to him. I'm not even stopping him. I'm just going to quickly be like, hey, by the way, 
It's my way of saying, love the skit, look at the irony, have a great day, right? As simple as that. So as I'm waiting for this light, all of a sudden, I hear this screaming, uh, this is yelling, I guess, and it's of my name. Tony Parks! Tony Parks! Tony Parks! And, I'm, and I turn sideways, I kind of open up, and I turn sideways to see who is yelling my name. Well, Dave Chappelle turns to look back to see who is yelling as well. And it wasn't that far away, but Market Street around any time of the day is pretty loud. So with where it's located, the amount of people and cars, you have to yell to get someone's attention from even 15, 20 feet away, let alone 50, right? So I look back and I'm like, who in the world is this? And I look back, it's David Locke. It's David Locke. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, did I, did I drop something? Did I leave something back at practice? Did I miss breaking news that came from the jazz PR staff? Like what? Like, what's going on? So I'm walking up to David. I kind of, like, turn and, and, you know, meet him five feet away from my original spot. And I'm kind of looking at him like, what, what? Like, what's going on? What's up? What's up? And he's like, hey, man, uh, we're having lunch at this restaurant over here. Do you want to join us? We can go over some of the stuff for the game tomorrow. And, I, and I'm looking at him going like, oh, man, I'm thinking this is an emergency. So by the time he gets done even asking me the question, the light has turned green. Chappelle is on his way. And the moment, bam, gone. Poof. See you later. I had this perfect moment where everything had lined up just right and I was going to be able to land this perfect line at this perfect moment and dunzo, it's gone. And we're walking back to this restaurant together. I'm like, you know who that was right next to me, right? And he's like, no. I go, that, that was Dave Chappelle. He's like, oh, cool. And then goes right into his conversation about the game coming up. And I, oh, like that moment still. Every time I'm ever in San Francisco, I think of Third Street, Every time I see Dave Chappelle, I think of David Locke. And every time I see David Locke, I think of that moment with Dave Chappelle where I had all the stars line up just right for this perfect moment for one of my all-time favorite comedians. And bam, there goes that moment. And the chances of lining all that up again? No, it'll never happen. And to David's defense, Locke's, I mean, he has no idea. There's no way he could have known, right? And he wasn't like being maniacal when he was trying to get my attention. He just he wanted to see if he could catch me before I got across the street so we could meet about the game. Uh, uh, because at that time, we were actually doing the broadcast very differently. Uh, Kristen Kenny, I was just talking about her earlier, um, she, did, she does the TV sideline reporting. Well, the TV crew wasn't broadcasting that game, but she was going to be a part of our radio broadcast. And I actually thought David did a really nice job of... Um, gosh, with two sideline reporters on a radio broadcast to try and, you know, fit it all in and have it be something that really positively contributes to the broadcast. I, I thought we organized it well, and, and he did a great job constructing all of that. So that's why he wanted to meet while we had us all together because it was going to be so unique. So anyway, once again, once I see Chappelle, I think of Locke, and I think of the moment and the opportunity that will only come around one time. I felt like Ace Ventura where he's about to get the bird. And then all of a sudden the mascot walks up and knocks the bird away. And he's like, just infuriated. Yeah, that's what it felt like. All right, uh, later this week, I'm going to have a conversation about Utah football and 10 years of being in the Pac-12. Uh, and why I think, man, amazing the methodical change for Utah football in that time. Uh, also going to bring up BYU football and discuss something about them this week. I think that there's something very important about kind of the realistic and the focus uh, goals that should be there for BYU and why a lot of the conversation about BYU is 
the wrong conversation about BYU. Anyway, I'll, I'll get into more of that when I have a chance. Um, I'm working on something really cool for Utah State next week, so Aggie fans, I think you will definitely like that. Uh, here in a second, I want to get to the discussion uh, that is Donovan Mitchell and the conversation surrounding his post over the weekend. Um, but I wanted to give a quick thought to this story. It came out just today, just moments ago, uh, involving Bubba Wallace and NASCAR. Uh, it turns out uh, the story about a noose being in his garage, very serious story. Turns out it was actually a garage door pull. This was not a hate crime. The FBI got involved, and they were able to come to this conclusion. First of all, I'm glad there wasn't a hate crime. That's good, right? Like, that's great that there wasn't a hate crime. Second of all, uh, just for me, not being a NASCAR guy, I'm not a car guy either. I, I don't get all geeked out when I hear an engine roar or anything like that. Cars have never really been, like, my thing. I drive a Honda Civic because it has great gas mileage. I don't. Yeah, you know, like I just don't get really into cars. That was never my thing. Some of my friends would, but it wasn't for me. Anyway, point being, NASCAR and this Wallace team, I really want an explanation. I, 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 like more than anything, I want an explanation of how we got here. Because I'm really confused how people in that industry that have been around garages every day for their entire lives didn't figure this one out on their own. Like... Go through the process and help me out here. What, what day did you see it? What made you think it was not a garage door pole? What do garage door poles usually look like? Was this very different? Was it understandable to know why this would be confused for not being a garage door pole? Like, who from NASCAR looked into this before the FBI got involved? What other track members were there to see it and verify it? Like, I, I don't know. My, my point is, I guess my big question is, and I don't have all the answers, so that's why I really want the explanation for this, is, like, how did we get all the way to this point? Because I don't have a problem looking into something and making sure we don't have a hate crime. That's obvious. We should, we should always investigate something like that if it, if it looks serious, for sure. But I, I'm, I'm, I just, I want to know why they could not have come to this conclusion long before Tuesday and long before the FBI got involved. Like, I, I want to know the process of that. Because I'm thinking, man, they're going to investigate this thing. They're going to find out who did it. They're going to find out who put it there. They're going to show, you know, video evidence of somebody going in there. Man, this could be really bad. With the limited amount of access, this could be a driver. This could be an all-time story. That, that's what I'm thinking. And then it turns out this is a garage door pull. Was it a different-looking garage door pull? Uh, like, what... Does it look like any other garage? I, I don't know. I don't have the answers to that. So I would love to know um, from NASCAR um, like how they got to that point. Because uh, racism can definitely exist within any sport, and it certainly has with that sport in the past. I mean, gosh, we even saw it with Dustin Skinner, son of Mike Skinner, who mentioned that he was glad someone put a noose in his garage and hoped they'd drag him around. Like That was horrible, terrible stuff to say. So racism exists we got it and in this case with the garage it turns out that it really wasn't a hate crime but nascar there's some holes in this story that i would really like to have kind of filled in so i can understand more about that process all right on to donovan mitchell number 45 we all know uh that he has been very active on social media uh when it comes to everything surrounding uh social justice uh looking at some of the reactions to the donovan mitchell instagram post was I mean, it was disheartening, to say the least, right? I know that if you're listening, you know all about it. You, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's one thing to be curious about more insight into why someone feels a certain way. 
And it's another thing to be completely negligent, dismissive, and arrogant. We all know that it wasn't the majority of people. I got it. I got it. And yes, there were a few bots. I get that too. I did my homework. But once you sift through all of that, and I did, it was still surprising. Because there were more objecting to his statement and his experience than I would have predicted. And I was really embarrassed about that. Because I admittedly underrated the level that the response would be at negatively. Not, not, not massively. I don't think I was off by a mile, but I still underrated it. And when you come to the realization that I did, that I have underrated this a little bit, even just a little bit, it is, that didn't sit well with me. That really didn't. Now, I still don't think that Utah is a racist state overall. I'm not coming in here slamming my fist, telling everybody that if they're a member of the church or if they're a white person in Utah, they must have racist tendency. No, 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 no. That's, that's the, an individual thing. Okay, I don't, I don't think that this place is just full of raging racists. Um, but I do believe that this kind of mentality can exist with a segment of people in every place out there, everywhere. But there were more of you that have turned a blind eye and a negative attitude towards this than I would have guessed. One is too many, by the way. We all agree. Um, but I'm thinking, you'll have a handful of people that don't fully understand. And so they'll you know, need to be a part of the discussion for greater understanding. And then you'll have those idiots who just make you roll your eyes, shake your head because they're pathetic. And we've all run into those kinds of people, whether it's at a workplace or a parking lot at Shopco or a kid's sporting event or a family reunion. Hopefully not, but maybe some of you out there have had that happen um, or anywhere. Um, so we've all run into those people, but we, getting the sense and the gauge and the immeasurable kind of feel for the number of people out there with that mentality. It's, it's tough to get a gauge on, and I feel like I underrated it. All right, this has been a really interesting time, and there's been a lot of confusion, and people have had to do a lot of learning. Some people during all of this innocently need some help in understanding something to a deeper level, right? Some people want to be a part of the solution and are trying to learn more about how. Some people are a true part of the solution, and then there are some people, and I, I've been really wrestling with exactly how to put this to get my message across. I don't know how else to say it. There's a few people out there that need a foot up their ass. Like, there's no gentle way to put it. There's just a few people when it comes to something like human rights that just flat out need a foot up their ass. Like, I, I don't know how else to get the message across. We could have a talk and a discussion and we could show a video and it's never going to move it for them. It's never going to move them off their place. They're going to dig in those heels and they're going to, you know, clench that fist and they're going to grit those teeth and they are never backing down. So we have a few people out there that just don't get it. Now, most of those people in the minority and they don't speak for the majority here in this state, but man, this was a bad look. I appreciate Mitchell for using his voice. I think he's right when he says that we need everyone to use their voice when it comes to the important social issues that are out there, right? Like, we, we need to all come together and be on the same page here. Also, him having money. I saw people attacking this, like the fact that he has money. Him having money is a really poor reason to suggest that he shouldn't speak out on this issue or that he has no idea what people of color are experiencing. Because that's not true. 
I certainly wouldn't want someone to say that I have no right to make a comment because my views must be skewed based on uh, my social situation, my bank account, my color of skin, or any other thing that exists in my life. You know, we can't start minimizing someone's voice because we believe that they're financially considered a favorite and we're considered an underdog. So one of the most difficult sayings that I've had a hard time with in all of my life and all of my career, and it's a saying that gets thrown around a lot, and it sounds good and it feels good and it's used a lot. It's, it's, it's this, this phrase that has been, sports brings people together. That's what's great about sports. Look what sports has done. Now, I don't hate the saying. I shouldn't say I hate the because I don't hate the saying. But I've always thought it was somewhat errant. It just implies that as long as there's a sporting event and people have tickets and they're all sitting in the same place and we all cheer at the same time, then we all must be united in the ways that are most important. And it's not true. It can happen, but sports doesn't do that. Sports is not the actual reason why it happens. I believe sports brings people into proximity. I'll listen to that. Sports gives us a chance to bond and come together. But when it comes to being brought together and united, like genuinely connected, it takes all of the things that make up good people for that to happen. Character, leadership, love, understanding, compassion, empathy. It takes genuinely caring about others. Showing up to an arena, turning on a TV, or wearing a jersey doesn't in any way mean that we're truly united with the person that we're celebrating or wearing the jersey of. It's just, it's a very indirect way of connecting with them. It means that we appreciate their talents, but it doesn't somehow automatically mean that we are truly engaged with how they feel, what they're experiencing, you know, what that's like, or how we can help them help them uh, make their situation better or, or to make the world a better place. This is why some things can be tough for pro athletes. Really, really tough for pro athletes. Um, before COVID hit and before I was laid off, uh, I had a, a, a situation where I was asking random athletes from NBA players, G League players, Major League and Minor League Baseball players, um, and a, a couple of former NFL players too, uh, the people that felt comfortable enough to talk about it, and most of them were because they knew that it would be anonymous, but they could give me their answers to some simple questions about a very touchy subject. And what I was asking them is like, take me back to the first time as an athlete, whether it be like, collegiate or pro, or maybe even you were in AAU, where you noticed you were being treated like a thing and not a person. How obvious was it? What do you remember about it? What changes did you have to make immediately? How did you have to adapt over time? Because most of us will never know what that part of their experience is like. Now, most of us will never know what it's like to have two commas in our bank account, and while we won't know what the benefits are to that kind of life... We also don't understand some of the challenges, especially socially, that can kind of come uh, with that kind of life. So even if we would embrace the idea of this, we still need to listen to try and understand what some of those challenges are. And I, I haven't finished it yet because there's still a lot of work to be done. But let me tell you, their answers were really eye-opening. Answers about being late to the party and being taken advantage of before they knew it. Answers about watching people turn their backs on them before they realized that they had been betrayed. Talking about how people became good at hiding it. Like the first phase, one guy talked to me about how uh, he noticed it at first, started making the adjustments, and then people who were accustomed to working and being around pro athletes got good at disguising it. And so they, they had to use 
other approaches to be, see to it that they could really try to unmask what it was that was happening. It was, it was really, really fascinating. And so I'm hoping, uh, again, sometime in the future, I'll be in some locker rooms and I can continue to ask those questions. Um, some of the people that they were talking about that had uh, taken advantage of them or had treated them like a thing, colleagues, coaches, family members, longtime friends, uh, some of these people uh, that they talked about uh, were those that they, they never knew would treat them like that or that, that they would have guessed never would have. Um, and I, I thought, man, it can be scary when the mask of other people comes off and having it not look like what we thought it was going to look like. Um, that might even be the case for many of you out there. If you've experienced like a major tragedy or some major life change of some sort. I mean, many of you out there have probably had to come to some realization. And Donovan uh, probably felt this weekend like the mask of a segment for our fan base came off. And that was eye-opening to him. It was a bit eye-opening to me. And I bet it was eye-opening to him. And it can be tough when you find out that you were wrong about someone or a segment of people in that realm. So it can be tough when you find that out. It can also be tough when you watch people that are cheering for you in the arena and then find out deep down they don't have a listening ear to something that's truly important. Your perception then starts to be built that people think you're a character-based individual and then they'll show you love when you split a double team and finish over length at the rim. But then show you disgust when you try to explain to them that an experience in life can be different, scary, challenging, without the help of everyone coming together. And Donovan's comments about how, you know, like black communities can really rally around each other. They can help, but they really need the help of a lot of white people in the communities and really everybody all together to do their part to pull the same direction. And like I said, this probably happens with everyone at some point in their life where you, you come to some realization and you, you thought you were of more actual value in the ways that matter most to other people, and it can be disheartening. But with all the things that I've just laid out, if you're a person of color, it has to strike a different chord. It has to. Because it probably feels like that is a part of the equation. Your skin color, it has to. Like, I, I couldn't see how it wouldn't start to make you examine that. I, look, I've had to find out ugly truths involving serious issues when the masks of people have come off in the past. And it can be depressing when you find out who is who. It can be shocking when you learn that maybe someone or, or a certain uh, group of people weren't really with you when they said they were. But I've, I've never had to learn that while ever thinking that my skin color played a part of that. Or at very least was ever perceived, right? Now, we don't have to be ashamed of being Utahns. I, I always hate that. Like, I love Utah. I love the people here in Utah. And we all should too. Just because there's some negative people out there and we can, we can examine that and talk about that like I am right now. That doesn't mean we have to, like, bash on Utah. So we don't have to be ashamed to be Utahns, but we absolutely owe it to our community to give our best to be a part of the solutions that enrich the lives of all people. But right now, with an emphasis on our black brothers and sisters, they need to feel loved, supported, listened to, cared for. Of course, every life matters. We got it. Very few people have ever denied that. But right now, there does need to be an emphasis on learning more about why black lives matter. Because they do. And it doesn't matter 
If they are playing in the All-Star game, running a business, coaching a high school team, catching passes at the U, or waiting tables at a cheesecake factory, there is a perception that the love for people of color in this community is present, but sometimes hollow. Verbalized, but sometimes conditional. Allowed, as long as parameters might exist to maintain comfort, right? Embraced and celebrated when you come back to beat Denver in the fourth quarter. That's what I think Donovan means when he asked about how could you guys cheer for us on the court during the games but not stand with us during a time like this that is so important. Some people like it when sports can make a statement. But while some people were really moved by, let's say, Gail's comments in the arena after the Russell Westbrook situation, you probably had other people in the stands standing, clapping, nodding their head, and deep down just really wanting to get the game back underway. There are deeper layers to this than any of us realize. And so I continue to encourage all of you to look and listen deeper. I'm doing my best in that way. I don't have all the answers, but I know the terrible comments I saw on the post were definitely not the answer. They certainly weren't the majority, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a serious problem that should be confronted. It was enough. You have to address this. You couldn't ignore it. So I go back to the statement that I made before. Sports doesn't bring people together. It just brings people into proximity. It takes more inside of all of us to truly unite us and make us one. Wearing the same logo and cheering for the same result in a competition, it looks great on the photos, highlights, documentaries, interviews. I think sports fans, media, and every storyteller out there has allowed themselves to believe that just bringing people into proximity is enough. In believing that it's a true example of unity when looking at the bigger picture. And I, I think we've learned that's not it. That's, it's not enough. It takes more. People can absolutely be rooting for a result of a game and not really be rooting for a result of change in society. Because it's also what happens outside of the games that will decide whether or not we're serious about change in this community and across the country. Having sports back will really do some good for all of our lives. I know it will for me. But if we really want change, we can't just turn on the games and wait for it to happen. So I said it before, I'll say it again. Sports brings people into proximity, but it takes so much more to truly bring people together. Thanks again for listening to the Tony Parks Podcast. You can follow the show on all forms of social media at Tony Parks 801. Email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. And as always, you can hear the show right here on the Utah Podcast Network. Ute fans, I'll be talking to you in the next podcast about kind of this 10-year summary and breaking down a lot of really unique things uh, with this decade that has been Utah football in the Pac-12. It's been uh, an incredible ride for them and so many different chapters that we can really examine. And we'll take a really deep, deep dive uh, into what that has been. BYU fans, I'll have an episode for you coming up uh, later on in the week as well. Next week, Aggie fans, you're going to like what we have for you. Really special stuff. And we'll have a regular uh, kind of Aggie facet uh, to this podcast as well. You're going to like that. Thanks so much for listening to the Tony Parks podcast. Uh, as always, you can find us right here on the Utah Podcast Network.